Today on the To Win The Mini podcast, we have Andrew Wilson. Andrew is a PhD student. Andrew also works as the office coordinator at the Caskey Center here at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. Well, hey, Andrew, we're glad to have you today. Man, I'm glad to be here. And uh, and Andrew is here because we want to talk to Andrew uh, as a PK. Andrew is a pastor's kid. Uh, and so we want to have just an interesting conversation uh, for those out there who might not understand what that means, but you've certainly heard of a PK. Uh, PKs tend to have a bit of a reputation, and uh, we'll talk to Andrew about that reputation. But more than that, um, just what it's like to grow up in the home of a pastor, um, those expectations. Also, Andrew having surrendered to the ministry, going to be a pastor, he provides a unique perspective in that uh, he survived being a PK, uh, has not abandoned Jesus or the church, uh, and is looking forward to serving God in the capacity of the local church. So uh, thanks for uh, putting yourself out there, Andrew. Hey, I'm grateful for the opportunity. (laughs) All right, well, let's start. Just uh, give us a general sense of what it is like to grow up as a PK. Yeah, so I think about you have a front row seat. So in a literal sense, you have to sit on the front row when you're the preacher's kid, and so everybody sees you down front, but also you have a front row seat. Did too. you have to? Were you required to actually sit on the front row, or are you just... You know, I had to sit with my parents for a while, and okay. then once I was in youth group, I could sit in the back <laughs> I got or you. in the balcony. We had, you know, when we got a balcony, that was a big deal to get to sit upstairs away from uh, from everybody. But yeah, the PK, you're, you're the front row seat in church, but also in, in life. So just getting to see a lot of different things that people don't necessarily see in their childhood. So when I talked to my older brother about this, or he reflects on being a PK, he said he had an early introduction to death and that we saw so many people die and um, you know go to so many different funerals and everything that it taught him that death is a normal part of life. And so he had a front row seat to that experience and just... I think that helps you grow up maybe a little quicker, um, but but seeing so much of life from a unique perspective. Not everybody gets to go to funerals or go to hospital visitations. But yeah, that's not normal. We were just riding with— <laughs> Especially the hospital visitations. So, I mean, you'd be out with Dad, be at the bookstore, and then, okay, we got to go to the hospital and visit somebody. You just sit here and wait, and now you're seeing your dad with somebody at the most vulnerable point in their life, and he's— reading the Bible and praying with them, and you're just kind of sitting there. So it's not just a front row seat at church, it's a front row seat to life. And that exposes you to a lot of good things uh, to see, okay, this isn't just a faith that we talk about in in church. This is at the, the lowest point of someone's life. Somebody's there to care for them, and that's the preacher, and he's taking them to God, who's the ultimately one who, who cares for them. So I don't think I could articulate that as a child, but mm-hmm. I certainly was there on the front row. So I'm assuming it's pretty cool to uh, to be there with your dad, where your dad is, in a, in a lot of ways, the hero of the moment, right? There's uh, People are upset. People are hurting. Um, people are experiencing crises in life. And the person they call, or the person that comes, is dad. 
So it's got to be pretty cool as a kid. Uh, I think, you know, and we're going to talk about some of the the issues of being a PK and some of the kind of the negative aspects of it. But uh, I can only imagine and and hope <laughs> for my kids that there is a pretty cool element for the kid to see their dad as the hero in those situations. Yeah, so there's a lot of positive experiences with, with being a PK. And so I think about um, just all the different people that I got to meet being a, a PK. So you go visit Bill Davidson. He's going to fix the lawnmower. And Bill Davidson is telling you about racing lawnmowers, and he would do all this wild stuff and knew all this stuff about mechanics that we didn't know anything about. He's just fixing our lawnmower. He's, he's a church member. All right, well, now we've got to go down to the Baptist building. We're meeting the executive director for the Mississippi Baptist, and he's cutting up and telling stories to us and talking. And Now we've got to go while we're out and go visit somebody at the hospital. So, you know, you're seeing all these different people, interacting with all these different people. And I, so I'd, I'd say when I was growing up, I didn't know who the important people were because my dad treated everybody the same. Uh, so it was just these are the people we need to see today. And then later on I realized, okay, I got to meet the executive director for the Mississippi Baptist. That's probably a, a pretty cool deal. Was that Futural? It was Futural. All right. Yeah. And, uh, Shout out to Dr. Futural. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so just grateful for the chance to see so many different people, so many different cool experiences. And like you say, your dad gets to be the hero in a lot of things, meeting people he went to seminary with. Um, my third grade career day was a, an experience. So my dad comes in, everybody else my dad's a salesman. My dad's a lawyer. My dad says, "Hey, I'm a, I'm a preacher, and we tell people about Jesus and like to have fun with that." And he said, "One of my friends actually wrote this rap, and he did the Moses rap from Dr. Meek. So if you're a Blue Mountain guy, you've heard that." But that was my dad on third grade career day. <laughs> what does your dad do? He's the one who rapped, and uh, that was so cool to to see him do that. And you were dressed like a clown, right? Yeah, I went, at that time in my life, I wanted I, to be a... I could not leave that out. That yeah. had to be part of it. When I was in third grade, I wanted to be a, a circus clown. I grew out of that pretty quick, and then uh, we'll talk about the call later on. But And we, we could talk about similarities between being a clown and a pastor. A All right, so uh, obviously positive experiences. Not only that, growing up in a, an environment where you're constantly hearing about Jesus and discipleship is just uh it's part of life i mean it truly is your your dad's job and so um yeah so a lot of that happens through exposure to to key people Uh, so he would put us with his friends that he went to seminary with or he'd put us with his friends that had a a bible study in their home and he'd say you know we're going to go and learn from another teacher whenever we came back from a vacation we'd go listen to frank pollard preach at first baptist jackson and so seeing who are the people that are teaching my dad or that he looks up to. Um, and so a lot of discipleship happened, you know, just naturally. And then also through exposure to, to key people and getting to meet all those folks was good. Now give us a timeline here. We're, we're talking about your dad, uh, praise the Lord. Your dad's been at his church for a long time. Tell us where your dad is, where, how, how long he's been there when he started serving. It's pretty much your entire life is at one church. That's right. So he graduated NOBTS in 86 and was in Arkansas from 86 to 92. And he got to Meadowgrove Baptist Church in Brandon in 1992. I was born in 1994. So I was born into the church. Wow. And then he's still there. We just celebrated 30 years at the end of the year, um, 2022. 
Uh, so he's been at Metagrove for 30 years, and I'm, I haven't reached 30 yet myself. So he was there my whole life. So it's all you've known. All, all you've known, known is one church, the PK at one church. One That's church awesome. and you know, the same house. Yeah. <laughs> and you have two brothers. Two brothers. So Robert's my older brother, and then John's younger brother. So now we've exposed that I'm a PK and a middle child, and that explains everything that's wrong with me. Explains a lot, huh? Um, also, let's not forget your mom within this, because you're not only a, a peak the you're not only a PK, but you're also the uh, the son of a pastor's wife, uh, and all the dynamics that come along with that. That's uh, right. So we certainly don't want to leave her so out. So she is Lady Jane. Uh, she is distinguished, and and people call her Lady Jane. Um, not like the first lady deal, um, but people just call her Lady Jane or Jane. So and she's highly respected and and deservingly so. All right, so let's talk about some of the uh, some of the negative aspects, some of the difficulties that come along with being the the pastor's son. So one thing you hear people talk about and is real is the fishbowl effect, and a lot of this is probably internal pressure. Uh, if you know anything about me, you know I'm probably an, an overthinker, and so a little bit of that is is the fishbowl effect of, okay, we're on the front row, we're the pastor's kids, he's brother Steve. You don't want to disappoint anybody. So the shame-honor element of society is played up a little bit more because there's more to fall from. And so you really don't want to disappoint your dad, don't want to disappoint the congregation, don't want to make him look bad. At times, I've, I've turned that into an even more unhealthy thing in, in my own life of, you know, you're the pastor's son, you should have known better, and it's difficult to give myself grace for, okay, you were a teenager learning things and you had to figure some stuff out. Everybody sins, everybody messes up. I've got that internal standard of I don't want to disappoint anybody. I don't want to make my family look bad. That honor shame uh, component going on. I call that the fishbowl effect. Like you're it just just exactly what the picture is. You're you're in the middle of the fishbowl. Everybody can see you, and whether you like it or not, there's nowhere to hide. So you remember feeling that as a kid. I remember feeling that as a kid. Do you? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Don't want don't want nobody wants to disappoint their dad, and nobody wants to disappoint their pastor. And those are the same person for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so there's that. And then also I had that internal pressure when I was wrestling with my call. So for years, okay, there's three Wilson boys. Which one's going to be the pastor? I'm the middle child. Not going to be me. I don't want to do that. You know, I've seen how difficult it is, all the different challenges that come up with it. I want to do that. I want to be my own man. I want to do whatever I want to do. So just that internal rebellion and really, I think I was called to ministry before I admitted it. And so I really ignored a call to ministry because I was stubborn. And I had, had to ultimately repent of that and say, you know, this isn't just people pressuring me saying, which one of the Wilson boys is going to be a pastor? It was, no, God is calling you, and you got to straighten up and answer the call. So I really did ignore a call to ministry. And I'll say that mm-hmm. um, had to repent and say, no, God is calling me, and I've got to get serious about this and, and follow it. So my dad was helpful with that. He said, look, I've been in your shoes of being called, and if there's anything else you can do, then do that. But there really wasn't. My soul wasn't satisfied with anything else that I wanted to do, and it was only when I submitted to the Lord that I know I, I knew my soul was at rest, that I was answering his call and doing his will for my life. So he was also, even though that pressure was there of, 
are you going to be a preacher like your dad? He was there to walk me through and say, look, if there's nothing else you can do, then you need to answer the call and to walk through that with me because he knew what it was like to be called. Did you go to him early on? Was that, I'm assuming that's something that he saw. And so he he's trying to steward that. Well, that'd be really hard to do. I, I say that from the standpoint of my kids and their salvation, trying to steward that. You're not trying to, you know, coerce or you're trying to manage it well. Uh, and so I can only imagine with your call to ministry, your your dad is playing a delicate game there of trying not to talk you into it, not to talk you out of it, but to steward it well, right? Right. So in high school, after one of my first mission trip, I knew I was, all right, I'm called to be a missionary. This is going to be great. I don't even need to go to college, Dad. I can just go be a missionary. And he said, well, I think there's a lot of benefit in having an education and having a skill so that you'll be more marketable as a missionary. And so some of that wisdom of you don't need to be a 16-year-old saving the world. Okay, so I'm, now I'm going to go to college. Well, what am I going to do at college? Do I want to do criminal justice? I was interested in that for a little bit. Do I want to do communication? I was interested in that for a little bit. Do I want to do, you know, whatever? So I show up at college. Well, a little bit before that, I really had to explore the cost. I went to this conference called Kaleo that Jeff Orge put on, and he walked through, Is God Calling Me? And so I was able to articulate after that conference at the end of high school, you know, there's a general call to evangelism. Every Christian has that, and there's a specific call to ministry. And I was actually talking with my dad and, and Dr. Future one day, and I explained the difference between the two calls, and I said, I'm definitely that first one, just a general call of a Christian to evangelize. And Dr. Future looked at my dad, and he said, this boy's going to be a preacher one day. <laughs> I said, no! <laughs> Were you listening? Anyway, he ended up being right, so... Um, but just the patience of my dad to, to see that in me early mm-hmm. and to say, no, you go to this conference by yourself, think about it. You know, he let me fall and, and figure it out myself. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I, answer, I eventually had to answer the call. So, yeah, we talked about that, but a lot of it, he, would, he wouldn't be heavy-handed. He'd say, go away and, and think about it. At NOBTS and Level College, our mission is to prepare servants to walk with Christ, to proclaim His truth, and to fulfill His mission. If God's calling you to take your ministry a step further, let us help. Visit us at nobts.edu. So can you think of other negative experiences, difficulties that come along with being the pastor's son, the, the PK other than fishbowl, obviously that that's going to cover a lot. Um, wrestling with your own internal call and trying to figure that out. Other things you can think of? Those would be the two primary ones. Other than that, it's it, anything would be sort of a selfish reason of, I want more time with my dad, but he's got to give time to the people. Yeah. So you're learning about priorities and, and what it means to make sacrifices for a call mm-hmm. in that. So that's... Difficult. My little brother really talks about that, realizing, okay, dad has to go away from holidays or, or events when something bad happens. Yeah. And so John really talks about being jealous of our dad's time. Yeah, let's talk about that. So you're growing up, you have other friends, um, not only in church, but outside of the church. Um, 
And I'm assuming that you recognize that your daily, weekly schedule looks a bit different than friends or peers. So what was that like? How how did you notice those differences? How did those differences affect you, not just in the normal week, but also holidays and vacations? Because those look different for pastors and for churches and for, uh, consequently, pastors' kids. Yeah, so self-awareness is a learned skill, and and it's not a skill I always had. So growing up, I didn't know that anything was different because it was the way that I experienced reality and, you know, experienced my life. So I had to realize, okay, not everybody is at church before church starts and, you know, when we cut the lights off and then back there on Sunday night and, okay, Dad took his nap and went back and did the deacons meeting in between and now we got Wednesday night and there's an event, so we got to volunteer for that. And, you know, we were just there for everything. We were at Sam's getting the drinks for the drink machine. We were getting the styrofoam plates for Wednesday night supper, you know, all this different stuff, all the background stuff. We were just always at the church. We'd go to the youth room and play foosball or the video game. We just hung out there. I learned how to drive in the parking lot when I was like 10. So just always around church. And so, you know, at some point we realized this isn't something that everybody does. And it's a little bit different. And one of the ways is, like, like you mentioned, with vacation. So we would, not in the sense that we were taking death lightly, but, you know, the joke would be, who's going to die while we're on this trip? Yeah, it's a, it's a natural part of it. And so we would expect, okay, we're at the beach. Also, I grew up in the transition from cell phone to iPhone. And so pastors and everybody became more accessible as I grew up. So it went from having a button phone, maybe you don't have great reception, to now you have a bag a, phone. Yeah, yeah bag, bag phone. <laughs> <laughs> to now everybody has an iPhone, you can get a video call from around the world at any moment. And so some of that is accessibility, but also the pastor's accessibility. We got, we'd have to come back early from a trip to do a funeral or that sort of thing. We also had cool opportunities the other kids didn't have because we were pastors. So there was a big retreat in Colorado at a Focus on the Family, that had a pastor's family thing. So we drove all the way to Colorado to attend this event. And I remember that being a cool family vacation and something that other kids didn't have the opportunity to because the only people that were invited were PKs. I think that was a, a positive experience. So later on when the church was doing mission trips to England and we started building that partnership, we got to tack on a trip to Europe afterwards because we, we got to go over to England. I got to see a lot of the world when I was still finishing high school or right, really right at the end of high school because my dad was a pastor. And so that was an example of a positive thing that comes from being a PK that just had access to you know, a lot of places I didn't really belong or didn't have a place, didn't have a reason to be there other than I was a PK. And so the only reason I was allowed into these places was because of who my dad was. That, that's special. So you went to public school. Uh, were you sort of on the fringes? Were you seen as, oh, he's that pastor's kid? Uh, was that a noticeable thing as you were in school? Um, did you feel any any sort of uh, different societal or peer pressure being the PK or people looked at you differently because of that? I think people knew where my boundaries were in high school, and they knew there was stuff I wasn't going to do or stuff that I would be able to answer questions about. And so I was pleased to 
be respected in high school, got got a lot of honors and, and just humbled by that to be respected by my peers, respected by my teachers. But also people people knew that we were different. Um and that was that was a good thing. I don't think it was a bad thing in high school and I, I never was made fun of or belittled but you know, we had very interesting conversations in debate class. We had, you know, a couple of atheist people in there and I had a chemistry teacher who was really good at apologetics and he would, you know, pour into the Christian guys, um, saying, Hey, here's some, you know, apologetic stuff you need to learn and so he would kind of pull us aside and, and work with us on that and in debate team we'd have to be debating atheists about different things and they knew, all right, well here's the preacher's kid, we're gonna have to debate him. So kind of positively singled out as he's gonna know something because his dad. Whether I knew it or not, I was singled out <laughs> yeah. as Yeah, the pressure was on you. He's gonna be a leader. <laughs> he's gonna know what know what's going on. Yeah. What are some other things that uh, uh what are some things that people who aren't pastors kids, what do they not know? What do they need to know? about what it's like being a pastor's kid. So I envision uh, within those who will listen to this, we have those who are thinking through a call to ministry. And for them, there's the recognition that, oh, oh no, that means my kid's going to be a PK. Uh, there are those who are already serving, uh, and they have PKs, right? Then there are just those in our churches, uh, and they don't necessarily think about how different it is for a PK as opposed to just a normal K. Uh, so what are some things that people don't know but they need to know about being a pastor's kid? Sure. So the first area I'll talk about is salvation. And we've talked about this with your kids and, and even Sunday school teachers alarmed that the preacher's kid isn't saved. So I scared my Sunday school teacher when I was about eight or nine. I got saved right before I turned 10. It was June 10th, 2004, and very clear moment. I'm praying to repent of my sin and, and confess Christ as Lord on my parents' bed. My parents actually led me to Christ. So before that, when I was wrestling with it, the Sunday school teacher asked who had been saved and if anybody had been baptized. And I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not saved. And she goes, well, yeah, you are. You're, you're <laughs> your brother Steve's son. <laughs> How and old were you? You're, you're nine in, at this point? Yeah, I was eight or nine. Eight or nine, third or fourth grade. And she said, well, you, yeah, you are. You're your brother Steve's son. I said, no, this is what it means to be a Christian. You have to admit that you're a sinner and believe that Christ is Lord and you know conf confess your sins and confess him as Lord. And I haven't done that yet, so I know I'm not saved. And just kind of this startled <laughs> look on her face. And I was really wrestling with it. I, yeah. I was scared of the idea of eternity. Either way, the idea of being alive forever just terrified me. And I'd stay up late at night trying to figure it out. And, you know, being alive forever terrified you. Yeah, I just thought, you know, there's <laughs> I was I was a kid and the yeah. idea of just something going on and on and on and on and never ending. I couldn't wrap my mind around it and was just terrified about what if I make the wrong choice and, you know, go to hell or, you know, what if, you know, why? Why do I have to make this decision? This, yeah, this is yeah. a big deal. And I'm a little kid thinking about eternity. And then realized, you know, it'd, it'd be far better to be with God forever, and I needed to be with Him now. And so I had to give my life to Him. So I was wrestling through that kind of stuff. Oh, that's kind of weird to say, but that's what I was thinking. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, no, I'll say, I mean, as you as you continue, I want you to continue with that, some things that people don't think about. Uh, but for our my sons, uh, we had a Sunday school teacher come to us and say, hey, you need to talk. Uh, you know, your son was praying and said that he's lost, said that he and his little brother are lost. And I said, yeah. And uh, just wanted you to know that. I said, well, they are lost. And we we talk to them about being lost and they need to be saved. They need to find Jesus. And so we're pretty open about that kind of stuff, uh, their lostness and their need for Jesus. Uh, and so it kind of freaked some people out, the fact that my kids were praying about their lostness and their need to be saved. So, Yeah, and I remember even when I, I went down the aisle, um, I think it was a Christmas morning that happened to be on a Sunday, and, and I was going to give my life to Jesus as a Christmas present. And <laughs> so that was that was when I walked down the aisle, and I remember thinking, are people going to think he's too old, shouldn't he have given his life already? Oh, cause this, so this was genuine. This was genuine. Yeah, you had been born again, so it's, this you're was, going yeah, down this at Christmas. Genuine. This is me going down at Christmas. Gotcha. And in my head I'm thinking, the right, fishbowl, right? The fishbowl. Are people going to think you should have got saved mm, when you were eight? Yeah. You've been thinking about this for a while. Why hadn't you already become a Christian? Your dad's a pastor. You could have done this any time. You know, just kind of that negative feedback loop already. And, you know, obviously just kind of move past that. Um, it's never the wrong time to come to Christ. And I came to Christ when I did, and I'm glad that I did. So I'm really glad I didn't learn about election until after I got saved, because that would have thrown me for a loop about, oh, am I one of the elect or not? Oh, yeah, we won't get into that here. We'll yeah. save that one. That's a, another podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so that, and then just people who aren't pastors' kids, what do they need to know about that? What do they need to vote? This is going to sound simple, but that their pastor is a person and that their kids are people too. And so kids hear more than you think. That's just true in general. And so if the pastor's kid has access or a front row seat to things, then he's really hearing a lot more than what you think. So part of that is just the privilege of being a pastor's kid. We learn how to listen and not talk early on. And there's going to be stuff you hear that's private, and this is something somebody's struggling with. And so you just need to listen, and we're not going to talk about this again because they they're dealing with God, and, and we're going to keep going. So learn that, that at an early age of how to listen to a vulnerable conversation and then just mm-hmm. not, not bring it up and keep going. But you also hear, I didn't hear a ton of negative stuff. And we, we have a really good congregation at Matter Grove that was supportive of my dad and my family. Um, but just in general, I'd say kids hear more than you think. The pastor is a person, and the kids are people too. So just give them that grace, and nobody's expecting their pastor to be perfect. Uh, but the way you talk about a father around mm-hmm. their children can be very influential. And so yeah. the way you talk about a pastor around his congregants can be very influential. And so when the child and the congregant are the same person, and the pastor and the father are the same person, you got that double. What you say about the pastor around the pastor's kid is very important mm-hmm. and has has big ramifications. Yeah, that's a good point. When someone's talking to your dad and you're there, they're talking to a father in front of his son. So, yeah, that's a good point. That's a that's something helpful, I think, for for people to consider. Um, all right, so now you have a son and you are you're going to be raising him as a PK. Um, 
Listen, we you wouldn't be here if your parents had not done a great job. Your parents are awesome. Uh, and that is um, that's just a statement, not even a preface. But as you're approaching raising your son, if God blesses you all with uh, uh, continuing to have more kids and as he blesses you and puts you in that church home and now you're the pastor, you're raising PKs. What do you think about doing uh, similarly? What do you think about doing differently? Uh, some stuff that you've learned uh, as a PK that maybe you'll you'll take a, a bit of a different approach. Uh, or you say, man, that was my parents at a home run. I'm going to do that exactly like they did. Yeah, I think one of the best things about my childhood was the exposure to so many different people. So being a pastor is about working with people and helping people or helping you know the Lord get to people and people get to the Lord and all that sort of thing. And also is is not not networking in like a nepotism sense, but sort of, okay, these are people that have been influential in my dad's life, and he wants them to be an influence in my life. And so he's going to expose me to them so that they can pour into me. And I think that's something my parents did really well. They always talked to us like we were adults, and so we were able to have adult conversations very early. I remember being in middle school at a you know party with adults and children and, and talking to one of my friend's dads more than I talked to my friend and just realizing why am I relating with him more than my the people my own age and I think that was from my parents raising me to have adult conversations to talk to adults about um, you know just real life things and so that's something I want for Emmett too is just to expose him to my professors from seminary my friends from seminary the people that have influenced me and had, allow him to see okay, this isn't just something that mom and dad believe. This is something that other people believe and allow them to, to pour into my son as well. Uh, so, so that's one thing I want to repeat. Something that I would want to sharpen, my parents have a very open communication with all, all of the brothers. We, all, we have this group text message. We're always communicating all the time. We're always miscommunicating all the time and having to clarify, did you say this? Oh, yeah, I just said that. Well, say it again. You know, we've got to repeat all this stuff. Can you clarify that? And so over time, we've developed very open communication. I wish I had known that that was possible earlier in my life, uh, to have that level of open communication about any kind of topic. And so when, when eventually I would talk to my parents about difficult things, they would always meet me with grace and, and you know, respond well and, and in a helpful way. But, I, you know, I was so afraid of disappointing them that I would, wouldn't want to bring some stuff up. And if I had just known earlier, you know, how, how our communication would be now, then I think that would have – that's something I want to work on with, with my family is, okay, how do I build what my family has now earlier on in life? And some of that's just, you know, you've got to be a little kid and a teenager. You've got to learn how to relate to your parents. Um, but just establishing that – Okay, nothing you tell me is going to surprise me, and we're we're here for you. We're pulling for you. Uh, so just communicating that early and often mm-hmm. will be something I want to take from them and and advance a little bit earlier. Um, did you go to business meetings, things like that, as a kid? Did you? Mm-hmm. Would you encourage that for PKs? Obviously, not any ones that are going to be explosive in nature, but. Just thinking through the normal business meeting and some of those kinds of moments, did you appreciate and value that 
Is yeah, there were times where I would just wait in the lobby until the business meeting was over or, mm-hmm. you know, run around the outside. But sometimes I was there. But I was always on my dad's side. So if somebody didn't see something, I'd be thinking, <laughs> how do you not get it? He's got this great plan, and you're asking this question. Yeah. How do you not get it? But I couldn't say anything. Yeah. And so, yeah, I would I would bring my son to, to that sort of thing and just allowing allow him to see how everything works. Mm-hmm. That's definitely helpful. Yeah. Well, this conversation's been helpful, Andrew. I appreciate you, brother. Appreciate uh, appreciate your parents. Shout out to the Wilsons uh, for doing a great job, and uh, grateful that we can uh, raise up generations of PKs uh, who can uh, then be called into the pastorate and continue to raise up generations of more and more PKs. So, thank you for the conversation, brother, and. Uh, I appreciate those who are listening, and I want you to like, share, uh, share us with others. Give us a good review uh, so that others can join in the the audience of the To Win the Many podcast, and uh, and we will talk to you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to To Win the Many, a podcast of the Caskey Center at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. The Caskey Center for Church Excellence provides ministerial resources, including undergraduate and graduate scholarships for ministers serving Southern Baptist churches in Alabama, Indiana, Louisiana, Mississippi, Montana, and Wyoming. For access to additional resources or more information about our scholarship opportunities, visit our website at caskeycenter.com or nobts.edu.